We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 661 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, September 21st, 2023. It is a day on which we, for a second consecutive Thursday night, have an NFC East team playing on Thursday night football. The one and one New York Giants at the two and zero San Francisco 49ers Thursday night at 8:15. This is a day after we had a key development in the quest. For the Commander's Next Stadium to be on the RFK Stadium land in Washington, D.C., a bipartisan bill called the D.C. Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Stadium Campus Revitalization Act was approved by the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. Uh, This bill would transfer the administrative jurisdiction over the RFK Stadium site, allowing the District of Columbia, to revitalize the RFK Memorial Stadium campus site, including potentially building a new stadium for the commanders on the site. Uh, Still a long way to go until we can say that the commanders next stadium will be on the RFK stadium site. But what happened on Wednesday was a step in that direction. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. You know, also on Wednesday was the commanders on Wednesday morning announcing that a whopping 175 former Washington players will be attending this Sunday afternoon's commanders game against the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field. This game actually is the commanders annual alumni homecoming game. Yes, this weekend is homecoming weekend. Uh, And this game will feature (laughs) the largest turnout ever for a Washington alumni homecoming game in terms of former Washington players. Gee, I wonder why. What has changed? What is different about this year's alumni homecoming game as compared to previous year's alumni homecoming games? It is a different world 
with the ownership of the Josh Harris group. Boy, 175 former Washington players at this game. Coming up on the show, lots of commanders conversation off the team on Wednesday, beginning the practice week in preparation for this game against the Bills on Sunday afternoon. Next segment, the initial injury news for the game. And uh, I will warn you, the initial injury news for the commanders, not exactly what you would want. Uh, And a number of interesting comments from head coach Rod Rivera from his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Ron was in a chatty mood, uh, and he did not back off the notion of this game against the Bills being a big game for the Commanders. He also said some good stuff about the Commanders' defense and opened up a bit about his thinking in sticking with the Cheeseman, the struggling long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman, at least for now. Uh, And then I will discuss quarterback Sam Howell and the commander's offense off comments from Sam at his pre-practice press conference on Wednesday and off some other things that Ron had to say. A lot from both Sam and Ron on commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and on the commander's screen game. You know, the screen game was a very popular topic on Wednesday. We all scream for the screen, uh, but the screen game was good, right? In the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos this past Sunday. And uh, as we know, the screen game for the Commanders was not good last season. Uh, Also on the show, we'll talk Orioles and Nationals. Uh, Each team played on Wednesday afternoon. The American League leading O's were denied a three-game sweep at the American League West leading Houston Astros. A 2-1 loss despite another terrific outing by starting pitcher Kyle Bradish. Six scoreless innings with nine strikeouts. The Nationals, though, got themselves a rare blowout win, a 13-3 win over the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park to win the series two games to one. This win was the Nats' first regular season win by at least 10 runs since April 29th, 2022. It had been a while. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rob on Commander's Corner, Emmanuel Forbes Jr., who in the win at the Broncos had that third quarter interception. He on a third and 10 for the Broncos at their 36. Had a great leaping and twisting interception of a shotgun pass by quarterback Russell Wilson. Uh, Forbes did then fumble the ball out of bounds. Writes Rob, can you comment on Forbes Jr.? The guy is definitely a ball hawk, but I feel like we spent our first round draft pick on a really clumsy, uncoordinated guy. First off, I'm not even sure that he had that interception. And watching the replay over and over in slow-mo while the play was being reviewed, it just illustrated his lack of body control and agility. His legs were akimbo, yo. And lastly, the bomb at the end hit him right in the face mask. Dude, that almost cost us the game that we had clawed our way back into. Just an observation. A great team-building win, though. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rob. Well, there are two ways of looking at the Emmanuel Forbes Jr. interception. No, he did not make uh, the cleanest of catches, but he deserves credit for being in position to make the interception and deserves credit for officially making the interception because (laughs) we, over the commander's first two games of this regular season, have seen other defensive players on the team not make interceptions 
that could have been made. And then with the Russell Wilson 50-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Brandon Johnson on the Hail Mary throw is time expired in the fourth quarter. So the ball did not hit Forbes on his face mask. Uh, The ball went to the left of Forbes, either went off his left shoulder or uh, went off someone to his left or maybe both. But I get the point. He was in position to make the catch and did not make the catch. But I think the larger point is that he was in position to bat the ball down and did not do that. Uh, Now, they're on that play with some definite bad luck for the commanders with the ball bouncing slash being tipped three times before being grabbed by Brandon Johnson in the end zone away from safety, Percy Butler. But in watching the play over and over again, as I have, and as I'm sure many of you have, uh, Forbes had a shot at swatting the ball down. And then safety Cameron Curl with his left hand tipped the ball up right toward Johnson for the touchdown. That was maybe the worst part. You need to swat down on the ball. Uh, Cam instead tipped the ball up. He ended up assisting on the touchdown. Uh, Email from Jeff on FedEx Field, which for the Commanders game against the Bills this Sunday afternoon is sold out for a second time in as many Commanders home games this regular season. Uh, Jeff was at the 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field in week one. Right, Jeff? I was at FedEx Field for the season opener. I was looking forward to seeing the upgrades that the team put into the stadium over the summer, mainly the upgraded video boards and the upgraded sound system. Well, The video boards looked exactly the same, (laughs) and in the fourth quarter, one of the boards became unwatchable. There were huge streaks throughout the entire board. It really looked horrendous. I've attached a photo that I took from my seat. The sound system was actually worse than in years past. My section couldn't ever make out what the announcer was saying throughout the entire game. Lastly, as season ticket holders, we are entitled to 50% off of concessions. However, when I went to a stand to get a drink and some food, the cashier had no idea how to apply the discount or even what the gold card was. So I was forced to pay full price. Other fans in my same section experienced the exact same thing at different concession stands. The 50% off is nothing new. It has been at the stadium for the last couple of years. For an employee not to know how to handle that is really unbelievable. I know that all of these issues are pre-Josh Harris, so here's to hoping that he makes the necessary changes soon. HTTC, uh, thank you for the email, Jeff. And looking at the picture of the uh, messed up video board, yeah, that uh, does not look good. Well, I'm glad that Jeff brought this stuff up. I hope that it gets corrected, and I hope that Jeff at the Bills game has a better experience than what he had at the Cardinals game. There, of course, is so much for the Josh Harris group to clean up just with FedEx Field, never mind everything else. So not everything at FedEx Field was going to be perfect, but some of what Jeff wrote about is inexcusable, especially the uh, 50% discount on concessions for season ticket holders not being honored or even known about uh, by the cashier. Well, Jeff was not happy with uh, what he had to pay for concessions at FedEx Field in week one. Are you not happy with what you are paying for home and auto insurance? If the answer is yes, know that you're not alone. Uh, We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. And that's why you should get with BMC insurance. Stop overpaying for home and auto insurance and check out BMC insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. Uh, BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. Uh, And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, the 2-0 Commanders on Wednesday afternoon held their first practice in preparation for their game against the 1-1 Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. There was some bad news on the Commander's injury report. Neither interior defensive lineman Duran Payne nor tight end Logan Thomas practiced on Wednesday afternoon. Duran, in the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos this past Sunday, suffered a left ankle injury. Logan, in the game, suffered a concussion. And each guy for Wednesday afternoon's practice was listed as as a DNP, as in did not practice. Uh, The good news was that those were the only two commanders active roster players who did not practice at all on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Safety, Quan Martin was listed as a limited participant in practice. He, for the win at the Broncos, was inactive due to a concussion. And then three other commanders players were listed on the injury report, but each as a full participant in practice. Running back, Brian Robinson Jr., who's dealing with a hip issue. Receiver Curtis Samuel, who's dealing with a hip issue. And center Nick Gates, who's dealing with a knee ailment. Uh, As for the Bills, three notable Bills players did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, Tight end Dawson Knox did not practice on Wednesday due to his back. Edge defender Leonard Floyd did not practice on Wednesday due to an ankle. And safety Micah Hyde did not practice on Wednesday due to a hamstring. Commanders head coach Rod Rivera, he on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference and said quite a few notable things. So, On Wednesday's show, episode 660, and our conversation with Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic, brought up what Ron said in the lead-up to the last game for Washington against the Bills. It was in September 2021 that Ron, leading up to a Washington game at the Bills, called the game a measuring stick game. And the measurement did not go well. Uh, Washington suffered a 43-21 loss at the Bills. Well, here we are two years later, September 2023. A few things have changed (laughs) for Washington, but this was Ron on Wednesday afternoon on how big this Sunday afternoon's game against the Bills feels to him. Um, Pretty big. 
You know, it's it, it's to me. It, I mean, it really is. And, and and you know, they're one of the elite teams at the AFC. I know they're one and one, but that records don't mean anything in this situation. This is one of the elite teams coming in, and you know, we've got to gear up. We've got to practice, prepare, get ourselves ready to go, and give us a great opportunity to see uh, see where we uh, where we stand. Yeah, see where we stand. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a measuring stick game to me. Uh, We can debate how good the Bills are, how viable of a Super Bowl contender they are, but there's no doubt the Bills have been one of the best teams in the NFL over the last four years. The Bills have won at least 10 games in each of the last four regular seasons. Commander's Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon is sold out. Uh, The sold out crowd at FedEx Field for the Commander's 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals in week one was great. This is Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on FedEx Field again being sold out. Wow, I think that's great. I really do. Um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be very exciting for our players. Um, this is going to be a good crowd. It's, it's going to be, um, you know, we'll probably have a, a few more Buffalo fans just because they do travel very well. Um, but hopefully we have, uh, we'll have a lot more uh, Commander fans out there that will drown them out. And um, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to the environment. I mean, this this is kind of what I've been hoping for, just because I you know having been here when it's when it was like that back in the day. This is this is very exciting for our for our team and for our organization and for this community and city. What about the Bills as an opponent for the Commanders? We on Wednesday's show got an in-depth breakdown of the Bills from Bills insider Ryan O'Halloran of the Buffalo News. Uh, The Bills have had a Jekyll and Hyde start to their regular season. Week one, the Bills lost at the New York Jets 22-16 in overtime on Monday Night Football in the game in which Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffered a torn left Achilles tendon on the Jets' fourth offensive snap. But week two, the Bills blew out the Las Vegas Raiders 38-10. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what he makes of the Bills' one-and-one start. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, when, when you're prepping for the for the first game of the year, you know, there, there's there's a lot of emotions on both sides. And, you know, and, and especially if you're the home team, there's a lot of emotions. So just because the Bills showed up and, you know, they're a very good team doesn't mean New York's going to roll over. And they, so they had a hell of a game. They had to, they had to play, and it was it was a dogfight. Um, but, but you saw more so than anything else now was then the Bills got a chance to open at home. Uh, you saw the guys get uh, you know get the crowd behind them, and so they got their they got energized that way, and you know they played the way they're capable. I mean, you know this is a very good football team. Like I said, this is one of the AFC standards, so it's going to be a great opportunity for us to to measure up. Ah, <laughs> that phrase "measure up." I don't know. Sounds a lot like measuring stick game. Uh, A Commanders win over the Bills on Sunday afternoon would have the Washington, D.C. area on fire, right? I mean, Washington has not had a 3-0 start to a regular season since 2005, which, oh, by the way, was the last season in which Washington had a playoff win. Uh, We on Wednesday afternoon had this exchange between David Aldridge of The Athletic and Ron Rivera. With the caveat, Ron, that you guys have won big games before. You win the Pittsburgh and beat Pittsburgh. You beat Tampa Bay here. So I know you've won big games before. But given that you started out 2-0 and and that everything seems more aligned organizationally, does this feel like a bigger chance to kind of really put your mark on, not you personally, but this right. team to put their mark on the league? Yeah, I, I do, David. I think, I think it's exactly what that is. I think it's an opportunity for us to you know, establish who we, who we are and who we can be. I mean, this is a, a very good measuring stick. 
you know what they've done for the last you know four or five years, um, especially with the young quarterback now who's coming into his own. Um, this is going to be a heck of a challenge for us on defensive side as well. I mean, we you know we we are a, a stout, solid defense, um, but when you can play against teams like this and and, and perform well, then you really start making the mark. Um, and uh, us as an organization uh, and as a team can really uh, step up and 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 get some attention from some folks. All right. And if you were paying attention, you heard Rod Rivera say measuring stick. He did it again. <laughs> Here you go. I mean, this is a, a very good measuring stick. Yeah. Rod Rivera has done it again. He has talked up a Washington Buffalo Bills game as being a measuring stick game for Washington. Uh, Let us hope that this measuring stick game against the Bills goes better than the last measuring stick game against the Bills. But you know what? Ron is right. This is a measuring stick game. Ron was not wrong when he said that two years ago, and he wasn't wrong with how he on Wednesday afternoon talked about this season's game against the Bills. Uh, Some good stuff from Ron on Wednesday afternoon on the Commanders' defense. Uh, The Commanders, through two regular season games, have played just two linebackers on defense. Jamin Davis has played on 63.3% of the Commanders' defensive snaps, and Cody Barton has played on 100% of the Commanders' defensive snaps. Here was Ron on Wednesday afternoon on what he has seen from his linebackers. I think you're seeing steady growth. Um, you know, Jamin has really come on this year, and, and, and you see his ability to make plays. You know, he's he's a high-impact guy that, that really has a, a hit-and-run-through mentality, you know, and, and he does a lot of good things getting around the ball. Cody has grown uh, in the last two games. You've seen the difference. He's learning and, and really kind of, trying to shake some of the habits he had from when he was in Seattle. In Seattle, they were a gap-controlled defense, very strict, um, you know, one one gap, one player, you know, whereas our guys are a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say two-gap as much as, you know, Jack has given the the, the, the the tackles in front of the linebackers some liberties. And, and so really what the linebackers do at times have to make those guys right. And that's you're asking a little bit of the linebackers, but at the same time, you don't want to keep, you know, Jonathan or Duran from having the opportunity to be explosive and get vertical and get upfield. I mean, you know, those three plays Duran made in a row, those are because of his his some some of his decision making, which puts a little bit of stress on the linebackers. But if you're going to make plays, you know, Jack doesn't want to stop that. So, you know, it's a little bit tougher for the linebackers. Um, you know, you saw it in the first half, Cody started slow and then finished up with ten tackles in the in the second half. Um, you know, and, and he was playing off of those guys, and he's learning to play off the guys. That, that's a lot to ask a linebacker. Uh, Jamin's used to it, and so when you watch Jamin, he almost puts them in a bind sometimes because Jamin will, has a tendency that he sees something, he'll run through. So they're kind of learning um, and developing and growing as a group. And, of course, Jamin Davis in the win at the Broncos made a huge play, a second-quarter sack strip of Russell Wilson, resulting in a lost fumble that was recovered by Cody Barton. And that takeaway set up the drive that resulted in the Logan Thomas late second-quarter, fourth-and-goal, four-yard touchdown reception. Uh, Another key player for the Commanders in the win at the Broncos was Deron Payne. He finished with a sack, three quarterback hits, two tackles for loss, a team-high 
five solo tackles and a pass defense before the game was the highest-graded commander's player for pro football focus with an overall grade of 86. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what stands out the most about the growth of Deron Payne as a player. Just the consistency in his play now. Um, you know, last year, one of the big topics was always about him finishing. And, and once he started finishing last year, he, he became, you know, it, it's apparent that he is a dominant player. Um, and then the way he finished yet, uh, last week off or last Sunday was, was about as impressive as it gets. I mean, you know, we have a heck of a tandem with him and Jonathan. I mean, I mean, those two guys are about as dynamic a group of guys I've been around. I was fortunate to be around when K1 Short and uh, uh, Stardew Tulay worked together. These two guys are, 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 probably more explosive, more dynamic. Um, and I was very fortunate to have those two guys, you know, when I was in Carolina. Um, but you also couple it with some of the guys that we have in, in, uh, in, in backup roles with JR and Abdullah. And, you know, we got a pretty stout bunch up front. And we're very fortunate to have those group, that group. Absolutely. The commander's defensive line has been so good so far, and it is so good to see Deron Payne pick up where he left off last season. His great 2022 season was not just a great contract season. No, that was the start of a new Deron Payne. That was a Deron Payne who blossomed into a truly great interior defensive lineman. He has been a force, and you hope like heck he is able to play this Sunday afternoon against the Bills. Uh, Also, from Ron on Wednesday afternoon, he addressed the situation with the cheese man. (laughs) The commanders on Tuesday worked out five long snappers, not one or two or three, five. But the team is sticking with Cameron Cheeseman as its long snapper, at least for now. Uh, He has had three bad snaps on field goal attempts over two games for the team this regular season. But how the Cameron Cheeseman issue got brought up on Wednesday afternoon was actually kind of funny. Take a listen to this exchange between Ben Standig and Ron Rivera. And with regard to the long snapper we talked about the mm-hmm. other day, and then you guys had to work out, and it looks like you're moving forward with, with Cameron. And I'm not trying to dismiss the long snapper position, but considering all the things that have been discussed, asked of you over the last two or three years, that the big topic at the moment in town seems to be about the long snapper is quite a departure from where things have been. Does it is that sort of a sense of kind of where this team is at and where this organization is at that it's that getting down to that <laughs> granular detail? Um well it's it's a pretty serious topic. I mean it's probably the most serious talk up topic I've dealt with in the last four years as far as football is concerned. <laughs> other than the quarterback issue. Um but and not to make light of those other off the field issues, but um, it is, it is, it is, it is kind of a relief. It's kind of a delight, to be quite honest with you, um, that we really have been focusing on our players and the guys and what they're doing and accomplishing on the field. I think that's really great. I think it's really cool to be able to do that. But it is, it is, it is an issue for us. Um, you know, we we work with Cheese. Just it, it's it's the the thing that's so crazy is you know he had he had one bad snap and then the next six were money. I mean, they're right where they needed to be. The laces where they were supposed to. And, you know, it's one of those things. It, it's, you know, hopefully it's not the quote-unquote yips. It's just, you know, this is just out of the abnormal and, and, and he'll settle in. You know, we, we, we had the five guys come in and work out. And to be quite honest, his times, his placement were, 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 were better with the exception of that. And so... You know, it, it's it's only gotten us, been in us only once, and 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 you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna grit our teeth with him and give him the opportunity to straighten it out. And and you know, but we have five guys that we've brought in, and we have a list now, and so we're prepared, and we'll see what happens. 
It does say a lot about the commanders off the team being sold by Dan and Tanya Snyder. Do you remember them? (laughs) To the Josh Harris group that the biggest complaint with the team right now is a struggling long snapper. But here's the deal with this issue with the cheese man. Uh, Beyond the bigger picture thing of Washington to get him having spent a draft pick that the team traded for, Ron Rivera pretty clearly is waiting for one more bad Cameron Cheeseman snap that caused the team to cut him. And that is a reactive as opposed to proactive way of handling this situation. And, you know, maybe there never again will be a bad Cameron Cheeseman snap that caused the team. But rather than taking care of the problem before it cost the team again, Ron is waiting for the problem to cost the team again. And generally speaking, That's not the way to handle these things. And you got to think that Cheeseman is feeling the pressure. I mean, every snap for him this Sunday afternoon is going to be scrutinized to the nth degree. And God forbid (laughs) a bad Cameron Cheeseman snap costs the commanders this game against the Bills, costs Washington its first 3-0 start to a regular season Since 2005, I earlier this segment said that the D.C. area will be on fire if the Commanders win this game. Well, the D.C. area may also be (laughs) on fire if the Commanders lose this game via a bad snap by the Cheeseman. Where have you gone, Ethan Albright and Nick Sundberg? We never knew how good we had it, right? Ethan Albright was the Redskins' long snapper for nine seasons, 2001 through 2009. Nick Sundberg was Washington's long snapper for 11 seasons, 2010 through 2020. Washington, for a 20-season stretch, 2001 through 2020, had two long snappers. We shall see for how long the cheese man lasts. Well, if you are a Commanders fan and you are on Instagram, in addition to worrying about Cameron Cheeseman, uh, make sure that you are following at WSH on the daily on IG. Uh, On the daily just started in 2021 and yet has more than 23,000 followers. And on the daily is literally daily. Uh, The page is updated every day. News, notes, reports, photos, graphics. Uh, This is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information, doesn't just post anything that anyone says. On the Daily on Instagram is a great place at which you can converse with other Commanders fans regarding the team, the draft, free agency, and trades. On the Daily responds to every single DM. Uh, On the Daily is a page at which you can have fun, lots of creativity with jersey swaps and unique graphics and the contest name that Redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday, which is when On The Daily gives out a free wallpaper that you can use on your phone. Uh, And On The Daily always has a great fresh look. If you're on Instagram, check out at WSH On The Daily and check out at WSH On The Daily's online shop, WSHOnTheDaily.com. WSHOnTheDaily.com. Some outstanding gear, shirts, hoodies, excellent material, a modern look. These are breathable and comfortable clothes, and they come with all kinds of looks. My personal favorite, a shirt that reads hashtag Howl 2023. Uh, for smart, informative, fun, and engaging Commander's content, check out at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. And for great merch, visit WSHOnTheDaily.com.
So how about this with Commander's quarterback Sam Howell? He in this game against the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one has a chance to become just the second Washington quarterback in the Super Bowl era to win each of his first four NFL regular season starts. Uh, The first quarterback to do this was Billy Kilmer in 1971. Uh, Sam is 3-0 and as an NFL starting quarterback in the regular season. The uh, 26-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 18 of last season. The 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field in Week 1 of this season. And the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos this past Sunday. A game in which the Commanders overcame a 21-3 second quarter deficit. Sam on Wednesday did his weekly pre-practice press conference, which started shortly before noon. Uh, This was Sam on what the commander's offense will be facing in the Bills defense this Sunday afternoon. Yeah, they're really good. Um, A really good defense, probably the best defense we've played so far this year. Um, Just everywhere you look on the field, there's a good player. Um, They're they're a veteran group. Um, They know exactly what they're doing in coverage. And, you know, they don't do a whole bunch of crazy looks they kind of play what they play um and they're really good at it um so we got to be ready for that stuff and you know we I think we'll have a good good game plan but they definitely have some good players all around on their defense so we definitely got to be prepared for it the Bills head coach Sean McDermott now is their defensive play caller he was Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator for the 2011 through 2016 seasons which were the first six seasons of commander's head coach Rod Rivera's tenure as Panthers head coach. The Bills do not have an official defensive coordinator. Uh, Sam Howell for this 2023 regular season is number 18 out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR at 53.1. He also is number 13 out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 7.16. Those two stats, total QBR and yards per pass attempt, are two of the best quarterback stats to look at. And Sam, through two weeks, is uh, doing just fine in each category. Now, a stat in which Sam is not doing well is sack percentage. He has the third worst sack percentage among 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL, 12.5%. Here was Sam on Wednesday on taking four sacks in the win at the Broncos off taking six sacks in the win over the Cardinals. You know, I'm always trying to find ways to get the ball out of my hand and limit sacks. Um, Obviously, I think we still... Still had more than we'd like to have, um, so just got to continue to do a better job of that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I man, that's a big, big emphasis for me is try to get the ball out. Um, and even when stuff is there downfield, just try to find an incompletion. Um, an incompletion is better than a sack. That is true. Uh, Sam Howell in the win over the Cardinals was so-so. Sam in the win at the Broncos was very good. Here was some more from Sam on Wednesday on how he played in the win at the Broncos as compared to how he played in the win over the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, I just think I, I played more decisive, um, and I think my just decision-making overall was better, um, and I was just playing more decisive and getting the ball out on time, um, so I felt like I was in good rhythm. And he was. Uh, and Sam Howell in the win at the Broncos had two terrific touchdown passes, the late second quarter, fourth and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end Logan Thomas, who took the nasty and illegal hit from safety Kareem Jackson, and the third quarter, first and 10 30-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to receiver Terry McLaurin, who made a great leaping catch while in between two Broncos defenders. Credit to Logan and Terry for those catches for sure, but credit to Sam for two great throws. 
Uh, the touchdown pass to Terry for the NFL's next-gen stance had a completion probability of just 22%. We on Wednesday had this exchange between Commander's Insider, Ben Standing of The Athletic, and Sam Howell. The uh, touchdown throw to Terry, um, when you're watching on TV, wow, it really looks really good throw. When you watch it on the All-22 from the behind, you, it's like... <laughs> how, how, how are you even fitting that in there? What was the reaction like when you guys watched it back to, to how you fit that in there? Yeah, I mean, it, obviously it was a, it was a good play, um, great catch by Terry, um, and I just got to I just got to continue to give Terry those types of opportunities. Um, I knew that I could put the ball in a place where he would have the only chance to catch it, um, and and I trust Terry in those situations. And he's not, he's shown not only this year but throughout his career that in those situations he's more likely than not going to come down with it. Um, and so, you know, just credit to him, credit to EB, the coaching staff who dialed that play up. It was one that we were looking forward to running the game. Um, and we had a good look for it. So it was just a matter of us going out there and executing. Um, and Terry made the play. As you're looking at it in real time, it, it's not, it wasn't triple coverage, but there were three defensive defenders in the area. How do you process that that quickly that I can fit that in there when there are those many guys? Because obviously if it's off just a little bit, you know, it could be real trouble. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew the coverage they were in, um, and right on the snap, I I looked at the safety on Terry's side, and then during the play, I peeked back at the safety on the opposite side to make sure he couldn't come in and play the ball. And then once I kind of saw how those two guys were playing, I knew where to throw the ball to where they couldn't get it. Um, so yeah, but at the end of the day, it was all credit to Terry um, making that good play, and then also our O line they gave me some good protection on that play as well. So how about the humility with which Sam Howell answered those questions from Ben Standig about the touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin in the win at the Broncos? Ben gave Sam every opportunity to pat himself on the back, and Sam really did not do that. Uh, He praised Terry. He praised the commander's offensive line. Uh, Great team-oriented, captain-like answers from Sam, who, of course, is a team captain for the commanders. Uh, He and Terry are the team's two offensive captains. But I love that maturity from a guy in Sam who, keep in mind, just turned 23 this past Saturday. Uh, We are just two games into the Commanders' 2023 regular season, so nothing should be declared with complete certainty. But so far, so good for the partnership that is Sam Howell and Commanders' assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. I thought that Eric in the win at the Broncos called a heck of a game. You know how he over his five seasons as Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator was not the Chiefs primary play caller? (laughs) Yeah, all of a sudden that does not seem like such a big deal. This was Sam Howell on Wednesday on the play calling of Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I think it's been good. Um, There's been a lot of help on the sideline, not only with me and EB, but with Tavita um, and Jacoby as well, and everyone kind of giving their input on how they think the game is going, and we're just continuing to grow as a offense, and we're just creating more chemistry every single time we get a chance to go out there and do it together. Um, So I feel like it's one of those things that will only get better each and every week. And that's the idea. Now, I do go back to last season. The Commanders, over their first two games of the 2022 regular season, looked very good from a passing offense standpoint, and then were not good from a passing offense standpoint for most of the rest of the season. So again, too early to declare anything with certainty. But yeah, if this is what the Commanders' 2023 offense is right now, what might it be a month from now, two months from now? Well, one of the more maddening aspects of the Commander's 2022 passing offense was how bad it was on screens. Uh, The team in the win 
at the Broncos had three big screen plays, two 21-yard receptions by running back Brian Robinson Jr. and a 36-yard reception by running back Antonio Gibson. We know that the commanders worked a lot on screens during OTA minicamp and training camp practices. We talked about that in our chat with Ben Standig on Wednesday's show, episode 660. Here was Sam Howell on Wednesday on what stands out about the commanders having success on screens in the win at the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've put so much time into it um, and, and throughout, you know, the spring and OTAs and training camp and then in the preseason, we, we put a lot of time into our screen game um, and there's a big emphasis on that. And when we talk about it, when we install those screens, there's it's very detailed. Um, that's one thing that EB does a really good job of is when we, in our screen game, he's so detailed. And as far as, you know, where, where we want everybody, every, everybody to be on every screen, because um, that stuff's important. Um, and obviously, we had some really good ones hitting the game, and we'll continue to build on those. The demanding attention to detail nature of Eric Bieniemy's coaching, to me, has been a big-time breath of fresh air and has been exactly what the commanders needed. And what Sam Howell just said right there, that Eric is, quote, so detailed as far as where we want everybody to be on every screen, end quote, that's how it should be. That's how it always should have been. And that is so good to hear. And that helps to explain why the commanders, who were so bad at screens last season, were already so good at them this past Sunday. Sam Howell on Wednesday on how Eric Bieniemy calls screens. Yeah, I mean, I think he does a good job with just certain formations, um, certain formations where they might be expecting pass or something like that. Or maybe we're running a formation a couple times throughout the game to try to set the screen up. Um, and so they, that way they see some different looks out of that formation. And the last thing they're expecting is a screen. Um, so just different things like that. You can do some some different stuff with motions. Um, but the, the main thing is making sure you're setting it up throughout the game and giving those guys looks to where when you are calling the screen, they think it's something else. And that, of course, is basic football offense, right? Make the defense think that you're doing one thing and then do another. Uh, This was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on how impressed he has been with the growth of the screen game for the commander's offense. Very impressed. Very much so. You know, um, what, what, what I've really been impressed with has been what's been going on the last couple of weeks in terms of the growth of of, of, of our football team, and then individually, um, you know, the the offensive unit and then the players within that unit. You know, we the, the coaches have done a terrific job on, on on in all phases. But you know, when you watch the offense, the, the jump they made from last week to to, to this past weekend uh, was really good to see. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the coaching, the way these these, these guys have worked with our players, um, the way they've pushed them throughout training camp right now into the regular season. Um, you know, it's been it's been really cool to watch just because these are things that, you know, we're, we're more than capable of doing. Uh, we just got to continue to get better at it. And, and, and you know, and, and it starts obviously with the quarterback position, you know, with, with what Tavita's doing in terms of working with him in the quarterback drills uh, to, to how he's responding to, to what Eric is demanding from him. You know, I, I think those quarterbacks have really grown. And because of it, I think it's really helped the offensive growth. High praise from Ron Rivera for Eric Bieniemy and quarterbacks coach Tavita Pritchard. And continuing this theme of the screen game, uh, we later in Ron's post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon had this exchange between Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times and Ron. 
With the screen game, what has made it so uh, effective? Is it the disguising, the timing? What are you, what are you seeing from balance? And, and I agree with you know with with the way that 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 you know EB talks about it. Um, you know when 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 I listen to them, him and the offensive coaches talk about you know putting plays in and putting plays in with the same action, with the same formation, the same shifts in motion. But yet, you know, from that from that look, we run the ball, we throw the ball, we screen the ball. Um, so the more balance we can have, um, you know, I think the, the much more productive we, we can continue to be as an offense. And, you know, as I said, EB and, and his staff have done a really good job in the last couple of weeks, obviously those first two weeks with, with the game planning and trying to mix things up and, again, continue to create that balance. So even more praise from Rod Rivera for Eric Bieniemy. Here was Sam Howell on Wednesday on if he is at a point with Eric in which Sam can anticipate what Eric is going to call and on whether Sam has input on what Eric calls. Yeah, um, I would say in the games, like we after every drive, we talk on the sideline about what we're going to call the next drive. Um, so I kind of have a good idea of what he's going to call when I'm out there. And then as far as my input, I have a lot of input as far as ranking the plays on the call sheet in order of how I, I would like them called um, and just letting him know like my comfort level with the plays and you know certain plays I like in a certain area of the field um, or a certain a- area of the game. Like, um, But yeah, I mean, we have a lot of communication and that's, that's one of my favorite things about playing for EB is he cares a lot about what I think and what I'm comfortable with. Um, so all that, that stuff's been very good. Well, a big part of good coaching, of course, is adapting to your players. Yes, a coach should have basic beliefs and principles that guide what he or she does, but the best coaches adapt to the players those coaches have. It does sound like Eric Bieniemy is tailoring what he believes in uh, to what Sam Howell likes and does well. Uh, How about this about the Commanders? They, over their first two games of this regular season, have outscored opponents in the second halves 31-15. Now, I do think that one of the most overused and overrated phrases in the NFL is halftime adjustments. How many times have you heard that phrase over the years? Halftime adjustments. Uh, First of all, teams make adjustments throughout games. If things are not going well in a first half, it's not like a team waits until halftime to make the adjustments. Second of all, Halftime of a regular season NFL game is less than 15 minutes. There is barely enough time in a halftime for a team to catch its breath, let alone make major adjustments. Uh, Yes, a coaching staff during halftime goes over things with players, but the whole halftime adjustments conversation, I think, is way overdone. That said, this was Sam Howell on Wednesday on what has been going on for the commander's offense during the halftimes of the wins over the Cardinals and at the Broncos, as the commander so far this regular season have a second half point differential of plus 16. Yeah, like you said, it's not much time, um, but you know, as, as soon as we get in there, kind of the coaches are getting together and talk about talking about their adjustments, and then us players, you know, we're kind of talking about anything that we're seeing, and then we kind of all come together. Um, EB gets us all together, and we just talk about our plan. Um, we talk about the plays that we like coming up in the second half, and we talk about what our approach is going to be going against the defense in the second half, and what we're expecting to call in that first drive, and kind of. If we are going to take some shots in the second half, what kind of shot plays we're talking about calling. Um, but just getting at, getting on the same page and kind of just having a plan. Um, that's the main thing. And I think EB's done a really good job of making sure we're coming back out of halftime with a plan. Um, and it's worked so far. 
Yes, it has. Uh, One more thing from Sam Howell on Wednesday. He addressed the illegal hits that the commanders have taken. The win over the Cardinals at FedEx Field in week one. Sam, on a first quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at their nine, took a wicked shot from linebacker Kaiser White while scrambling on what officially went down as a sack for a zero-yard loss. White received a 15-yard lowering head to make forcible contact penalty. Uh, Sam got checked after the play, but did not miss a snap. He came right back onto the field. And then we had the win at the Broncos in week two. Logan Thomas, his late second quarter, fourth and goal, four-yard touchdown reception on which he took that helmet-to-helmet hit from safety, Kareem Jackson, who got ejected from the game. Sam on Wednesday on whether these illegal hits on commanders players have the effect of galvanizing the team. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I mean, obviously, we don't want any of our teammates to be taken out like that. Um, I mean, I don't think it's it's definitely not the right way to play the game. Um, so if it, at, the, at the end of the day, it just makes us come together more as a team. And, you know, we have each other's back. Um, and obviously in the game, every single time that someone does something like that, we're going to have each other's back, as you guys have probably seen. Um, that's just who we are. We're, we're a close group of guys that's always going to look out for one another. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, think, I just think those hits are just unacceptable, especially in the NFL. No doubt about that, and no doubt about underdog fantasy. I am proud to be partnering with underdog fantasy. Uh, I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commander's Games in terms of underdog fantasy's higher, lower totals. Uh, Underdog fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Uh, Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption, but keeps the fun and the potential to win money. And Underdog Fantasy is offering something special for listeners of this podcast. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. Free money. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Well, I will be discussing the American League leading and playoff-bound Orioles in moments, but if you're thinking about going to an Orioles playoff game or about going to a Commander's game, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code 
Al Galdi. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the Game Time app. Game Time offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about Game Time is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on Game Time looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Game Time is the app for last minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Game Time also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with Game Time, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what you do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, the American League leading Orioles, their four-game winning streak did come to an end on Wednesday afternoon, a 2-1 walk-off loss at the American League West leading Houston Astros uh, to deny the O's a three-game sweep. The O's in this game blew a 1-0 eighth-inning lead, but the Tampa Bay Rays did lose on Wednesday evening, an 8-3 loss to the Los Angeles Angels. So the O's for this regular season are an American League best 95-57 and and remain two and a half games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. And the Orioles' elimination number, their magic number, uh, is down to seven because the O's have the tiebreaker with the Rays. Uh, The O's in each of the first two games of the three-game series at the Astros hit really well. Uh, The O's on Wednesday afternoon did not hit well. Uh, The O's got shut down. The O's scored just one run, totaled just six hits, worked just two walks, struck out 13 times, and went two for nine with runners in scoring position. The Astros starting pitcher, Christian Javier, one run in five innings with 11 strikeouts. The Orioles starting pitcher, Kyle Bradish, was really good too. Uh, Bradish tossed six scoreless innings with nine strikeouts. Uh, He is having some season, and he did such a good job in this game, especially considering that the Astros are one of the best hitting teams in the majors. Bradish gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. He threw 100 pitches, 62 strikes versus 38 balls. Uh, Kyle Bradish for this regular season is number six among all qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA at 3.01. But also for the O's in this 2-1 loss at the Astros on Wednesday afternoon was another bad game for the Orioles' bullpen. 
Uh, four Orioles relievers combined to allow two runs in two and a third innings. Look, the number one reason that the O's lost this game was their offense, but the bullpen did blow a one nothing eighth inning lead. Bottom of the eighth, Mike Bauman gave up a one-out RBI double. Uh, Shintaro Fujinami was charged with the run due to issuing two walks, and Danny Coulomb in the bottom of the ninth allowed a run on a double and a single. Orioles relievers in this series combined to allow 10 runs, nine earned in 10 and two-thirds innings. I have said this. I will continue to say this. The Orioles bullpen is a major concern heading to the postseason, especially considering the absence of the team's ace reliever, Felix Batista, due to his right UCL injury. Next up for the O's, a four-game series at the Cleveland Guardians. Game one, Thursday night at 7.15. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Well, the Nationals entered Wednesday with just six wins over the team's previous 22 games, and five of the six wins were one-run wins. And if you back up even further, six of the Nats' previous seven wins were one-run wins. Well, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon got a second consecutive win, and this most certainly was not (laughs) a one-run win, a 13-3 win over the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park to win the series Two games to one. The boys, they were mashing on Wednesday afternoon. I'm proud of the boys. Yeah, the boys. Nats manager Davey Martinez and the boys. Uh, they, for this regular season now, are 68 and 85. The Nats have nine games left in this regular season. Would have to go five and four to avoid 90 losses. Uh, that's probably not going to happen given that seven of the Nats Remaining nine regular season games are against the Major League-leading Atlanta Braves, and the other two games are against the American League-leading Orioles, but you never know. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday afternoon were excellent offensively. They scored 13 runs, totaled 14 hits, worked seven walks, went five for 18 with runners in scoring position. The 14 hits were comprised of three home runs, five doubles, and six singles. Uh, Three Nats players each got on base four times. Lane Thomas, C.J. Abrams, and Luis Garcia. Uh, Lane Thomas, he on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter. On base four times, he went one for two with a grand slam, two walks, and a hit by pitch. Uh, Did get thrown out on an attempted steal of second base, but he the Nats four-run third smashed a two-out grand slam to left field for an 8-1 Nats lead. That homer winner projected 425 feet per stat cast. Lane Thomas for this regular season at number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 794. Uh, C.J. Abrams on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter got on base four times. He went two for three with two doubles and two two-out walks. Uh, Abrams in an Nats one-run first had a leadoff first pitch opposite field double to left field. Abrams in an Nats three-run second had a one-out two-run opposite field double to the left center field gap for a 4-1 Nats lead. Abrams in the Nats four-run third drew a two-out walk and Abrams in the bottom of the sixth drew a two-out walk. C.J. Abrams had a bad June, a great July, a bad August, and now is having a great September. Abrams in this month of September, batting average of just 233, but an on-base percentage of 352, which speaks to the much-improved job that he's doing of drawing walks and a slugging percentage of 550. And Luis Garcia, 
He on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats starting second baseman and number six batter got on base four times. He went three for four with two doubles, a single, and a walk. And three of these four things happened to begin run scoring innings for the Nats. Now, he did commit an error, but Garcia in the Nats three-run second had a leadoff opposite field double through the left side of the infield. Garcia in the Nats four-run third had a leadoff single into right field despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Garcia in the Nats two-run fourth had a double off the bottom of the right center field wall. And Garcia in the Nats one-run eighth had a leadoff walk. Uh, also for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon, big game for Joey Manessis. He is the Nats starting DH and number three batter. Went three for six with a two-run homer and two singles. So Manessis in the Nats two-run fifth had a one-out full count two-run homer on a bomb to left field for a 12-1 <laughs> Nats lead. Uh, despite him having been down in the count at 1.12, uh, that homer went a projected 410 feet per stat cast. And also homering for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon was Dominic Smith. He is a Nats starting first baseman at number five batter. Went one for five, but the one was a solo homer. Uh, Smith in the Nats two-run fourth had a leadoff full count opposite field home run to left center field for a 9-1 Nats lead despite having been down in the count at one point. One, two. Dominic Smith for this month of September is slugging 6-11. He has five home runs and four doubles. He has not hit for like any power this season with the exception of this month of September uh, in which he is hitting for a ton of power. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher in this 13-3 win over the White Sox on Wednesday afternoon was Josiah Gray. He was coming off what he did in the Nats 2-0 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates last Thursday afternoon, September 14th. Gray in that game uh, made a start for the first time in 11 days and was good for just the second time in seven starts, but he was really good. He allowed two runs in six into third innings with 10 strikeouts versus no walks. Well, Gray on Wednesday afternoon had a mixed outing. The disappointment was that he lasted for just five innings in a game in which the Nats scored 12 runs over those five innings. When your team erupts for 12 runs over the first five innings of a game, you as a starting pitcher need to eat up some innings, especially considering that the Nats are in the midst of a stretch of 17 consecutive days without a scheduled off day. The Nats' last off day was September 7th. Their next scheduled off day is not until this Monday, September 25th. Uh, now, Gray on Wednesday afternoon in his five innings of work did allow just one run, so that was good. Uh, but he gave up five hits, two doubles, and three singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch. He recorded four strikeouts. He over his five innings through 91 pitches, just 52 strikes versus 39 balls. Josiah Gray for this 2023 regular season, 29 starts, an ERA of exactly four. I really want Gray to finish this regular season with an ERA below four. He was having such a good step forward season. I feel like psychologically, uh, he needs that ERA to end up being beneath four. Uh, the Nats bullpen in this 13-3 win over the White Sox on Wednesday afternoon. Three Nats relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in four innings. Jose A. Ferrer tossed a perfect top of the sixth. Andres Machado tossed a perfect top of the seventh. Uh, Thaddeus Ward did allow two runs, one earned in two innings. But still, a very nice stress-free win for the Nats. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's good. You know, I always say this, you know, we, we want to score first every day. It's good to, 
to, to come out and jump out, you know, score and, and score bunches, and then uh, let the guys relax and, and, and then watch them play. I mean, um, today was a perfect example. These guys, you know, they, they relaxed a little bit, and we got some big hits. Um, CJ starts us off with, with a nice double left field, um, and then things started clicking for everybody. So it was um, it was a good day, you know. So uh, we got to come back tomorrow and be ready to play again. I mean, we got we got a good team coming in. Yes, you do. As next up for the Nats is a four-game series against the major league-leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Game one, Thursday night at 7.05. Jay Gervin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And by the way, Davey Martinez, during his pregame press conference on Wednesday morning, did say that the Nats are skipping Trevor Williams' next scheduled start. Uh, Williams, over his last 18 starts, has an ERA of 659. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 662. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders as we will get you ready for the Commanders game against the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1, including rhyming keys. <laughs> My keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Also on Friday's show, I'll talk college football, Goldilocks, my college football previews and picks against the spreads, the games that I'll be discussing this week, Maryland at Michigan State, Virginia Tech at Marshall, and Virginia home to NC State. And on Friday's show, we'll talk Orioles and Nationals. The O's on Thursday night at 7.15 of Game 1 of a four-game series at the Cleveland Guardians. The Nats on Thursday night at 7.05 of Game 1 of a four-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Considering all the things that have been discussed, asked of you over the last two or three years, that the big topic at the moment in town seems to be about the long snapper is quite a departure from where things have been. Does it? Is that sort of a sense of kind of where this team is at and where this organization is at, that it's that, getting down to that granular detail? Um, well, it's, it's a pretty serious topic. I mean, it's probably the most serious talk up topic I've dealt with in the last four years as far as football is concerned, <laughs> other than the quarterback issue. 